Secrets to Real Estate Investing, Episode 131. Welcome to the Secrets of Real Estate Investing Show, where you'll learn powerful strategies from top experts to take your investments to the next level. Here's your host and expert real estate investor, Holly McCann. Well, hey there, welcome to another exciting episode of Secrets to Real Estate Investing. We have with us a gentleman today who has really launched into the world of multifamily investing in a huge way. He really took off and I'm really excited for him to share his background and experience with you guys because that is the goal for most of us. We don't wanna be wholesaling or flipping or stuck at anywhere along the path. Most people go from wholesaling to flipping to multifamily to bigger multifamily and they just go bigger and bigger. So with that, welcome to the show, Michael Becker. Hey, thanks for having me on. So glad you could be here today. Well, why don't you give our listeners um, your background and how you got up as far in this path as you did today? Sure, cool. Yeah, so Michael Becker, I'm based here in Dallas, Texas. That's kind of where I was born and raised. Uh, so lived here my entire life. And uh, today what we focus on is large-scale multifamily syndication. So we, uh, we, we buy and operate, you know, hopefully 200-plus unit multifamily deals in Dallas-Fort Worth and uh, the Austin markets. And so my background before that, how I got into it was I was a, a banker by profession. So I was loaning money to other people on, uh, on all the uh, major income producing asset classes of commercial real estate. So I have a background in office and industrial and retail. And then uh, the last five or six years of my, my banking career, I just focused exclusively on multifamily lending. And it's kind of through that process, just realized I was on the, the wrong side of all those deals. It was kind of better to be the, the borrower than the lender. So I started out like most people, um, I, uh, I think it was 2010 or 2011, started doing some smaller single families back when there's a lot of foreclosures out there. So I ended up doing uh, 16 rent houses. And I realized that kind of through that process, it wasn't very scalable. Uh, and then kind of reflected back to what I was doing all day, every day at, uh, at work. So started in 2013, we bought our first uh, large apartment complex, 120 unit, uh, raised about a million bucks. That's kind of how we got started. Uh, as of last week, we closed, I think on our 30, 39th acquisition, uh, right at 8,000 units and we've sold a few. So we're about 5,700 or so today. I think we have like 25 or 26 uh, properties uh, as we talk right now uh, with most of those up in Dallas-Fort Worth and then uh, about 900 units up in Austin as well. So that's kind of the, the, the brief version of what we've done in the last uh, you know, eight or nine years. That's awesome. I love that. The big picture. So now we'll dive yeah. in deeper on a few more of those things. So did you begin this venture and start doing your rent house acquisition while you had your full-time job? I did. Yeah. So I ended up doing all 16 rent houses. And then uh, when I transitioned uh, my last year or so as a banker, we ended up buying four properties, 800 units before I left my job. So all that, why I had, you know, wife, two kids, a job, uh, you know, the whole thing going on at the same time. And how was that? Was that fun? Was it stressful? Was it uh, all, all of the above, right? So it was, uh, I was trying to make sure we managed all the time and, and, um, say on top of everything is especially on the, the, the rent houses, I manage them myself on top of that. So, you know, you'd have to go get them, buy them, renovate them, manage a project always going on on top of dealing with, you know, HVAC units going out in the summer in Texas or a garage door opener is not opening or whatever the issue was. Um, so we had to kind of manage all that um, while being a pretty productive and successful, uh, you know, W2 employee at the same time. Right. So it was probably pretty helpful since you said that, word if it is a word w2 so it helps when you have income to be able to borrow money to buy houses to flip or to rent right did that help you 
Oh, for sure, of course. Yeah, that helped with uh, the mortgage qualifications uh, back at the time, no question. Yeah, so um, most people, you know, I, I meet all kinds that want to get into real estate investing at all different levels, but you either have to have money and credit or find someone else that does. It's really tough to do this business if you don't have a job, you don't have that borrowing capacity, you've got to find someone else that does and maybe you do the work and partner up, but you got to have it. You had it all then. You had, it was your time and your credit and your money, right? That's right. That's right. And so I, uh, what, what, uh, with the benefit of hindsight, I don't think I really needed to do the smaller um, houses. I could have gone right into the larger scale multifamily deals, but what it allowed me to do was, um, you know, one, get some confidence, um, you know, ability, get some success doing projects through completion and, you know, monetizing them all the way through. Um, you know, a small bite size that we can spend, you know, fifteen or twenty thousand dollars down on a deal and be able to get that back pretty quickly by renovating and refinancing the money out. Um, so I knew that any one deal wouldn't bring me down versus buying a multi-million dollar multi-family project where I had a little bit more risk from just kind of the, the size and scale. But um, that's really kind of kind of helped me uh, build my confidence and get through it. And really more than anything, kind of proved almost to my wife that, uh, that you know, hey, this was a, a good path forward as we're kind of, I wanted to transition from being, you know, an employee to an entrepreneur um, through a multiple year kind of measured uh, approach, you know, step by step. And it's kind of, you know, as, as we did one, we gained more confidence and uh, that, that we can actually go out and, and you know, take on the world and these larger deals. All right. Well, I'd love to ask my guests about their first deal and their best deal and their worst deal. So uh, yeah. I don't know if you want to talk about your first deal as a rent house or if you want to talk about your first apartment yeah, deal. The first deal really was a, a three bed, two bath house in Mesquite, Texas. I think I paid you have 70 some odd thousand dollars for and I renovated it for 20 maybe 15 20,000 so it's probably a little less than 100,000 all in and I don't remember what I sold it for but at least for like 1100 1200 a month I owned it for about two or three years and I think I sold it for like 125 130 something like that about three four years later um, the first large-scale multifamily deal we did was a 120 unit property in Garland Texas uh, we paid I think about three seven or three eight for it 3.8 million um, we spent, you know, probably 700000 or so in renovations and about 30 months into it, we sold it for about six and a half million dollars. Um, so it was, a, it was a nice little pop. I think we ended up uh, netting, you know, we put in about 1.1, 1 1.2 I think we had about two, four, two, five out. Uh, we had one equity partner, so one equity partner on us. And uh, uh, we ended up 1031 that deal into another property that we still own today and doing really well with. Um, but it was kind of a, what I described like a Humpty Dumpty property. So it was kind of broken. We had to come in and kind of put it together. So we had a couple of things that we were able to do both physically um, and needed a bunch of work, you know, so it just wasn't like in terrible shape. It was tired. So it needed, you know, carpentry and paint and we did the roofs and then all the units um, kind of multifamily lingo, all the units are what we call classic units meaning that they were non-renovated or non-upgraded. So we put a systematic approach as these units would come up for, um, you know, the tenant would move out. On a turn, we come in and upgrade the appliance package and flooring and fixtures and the backsplash and paint it, kind of just modernize the look of it. And then when the, the, the old tenant would move out, maybe they're paying $650, we spend the money and we probably raise the rents about $150 on, on that property. So we figured about $50 of that would just ask, asking for it. Um, just by just kind of just normal market appreciation. They were just kind of below market. About a hundred of that was from us actually doing doing the work. 
Um, and I don't know how familiar um, your listener base is with kind of the, the concept of how commercial real estate is valued. Um, but if you guys can, uh, one day, if you understand the, the value um, uh, or the power of the capitalization rate, the cap rate, um, you know, at the time, every uh, every dollar of uh, net operating income we can increase was somewhere around 12 to 14 to value. Um, today, that every dollar is closer to 20 to value is the way that the market is today. So if I can increase, um, if I keep my expenses the same, I can increase my rent by $1, you know, a month. That's, uh, you know, times 12 is, you know, 20 to value. So it's it's dramatic the amount of swings that you can have and um forcing uh, value into commercial real estate. So the moment I kind of understood that, you know, I always kind of like knew it, but like, uh, and one of the moment I kind of truly understood that concept was, uh, was the moment I decided to stop doing single family and transition into the larger scale multifamily deals. Yeah. Cause um, that's a very good point. The value of a rent house or a flip house is based on the value of the homes around it. It's what we yeah. call the comps yep. market value, but with, apartments they use the income approach which is based on capitalization rate or people call it cap rate so why don't you tell our listeners those of them that don't know what that is how sure. do you arrive at cap rate yeah so the cap rate is based on on the market so basically the way i think about a cap rate is is it basically on um if you were to buy yeah two two separate properties that are um that are, are different from each other you want to kind of compare the two relative to each other it's basically, um, if you look at this property, how much net operating income it produces compared to the next one, how much their net operating income, NOI, is, is the jargon it produces. Um, and it's basically like, if I was to buy, um, both properties had a $100,000 net operating income, but one's in Beverly Hills and one's in uh, middle of nowhere, Memphis, Tennessee, or something like that. People are willing to pay more for that same income stream in Beverly Hills than I would in Memphis, Tennessee. So maybe they'd pay a, a four cap for for or five cap for for um, for Beverly Hills, and they would want a ten cap for Memphis, Tennessee. So basically, if that so that had a hundred thousand dollar income stream um, in Beverly Hills on a five cap, a hundred thousand divided by five percent is two million dollars. That same hundred thousand dollar income stream in Memphis, Tennessee, in a ten cap, you'd pay a million dollars for it. But yeah, at the end of the day, you get the same um, you get the same net operating income. So it's basically a perception, the marketplace perception of risk or the durability of that income stream, where Beverly Hills is perceived to be more safe than Memphis, Tennessee. So um, when I say NOI, I probably should define that as well. So net operating income. Uh, when you look at a property like an apartment complex, for example, you have all your operating income. So you have the majority of that's like rent. But you also have things like application fees and late fees and parking income or pet rent or all those things that becomes your operating income. And then you have your operating expenses. So that's things like payroll, property taxes, insurance, repairs and maintenance. Um, and you, yeah, what, what is not included in there is any sort of scheduled capital items. Like I'm going to come in and replace the roof. You only do the roof every 20 years or however long. So that is not an operating income. That's a capital item. So it's below the net operating income. The other thing that's not included in your operating expenses is like your debt service, your interest expense, for example, or any sort of like partnership level expenses, because that's not a, an operating item. That's more of a capital or, or partnership expense. So basically your operating income minus your operating expenses equals your NOI, and you take your NOI divided by the cap rate, and that's kind of how you derive the value. So if you can either increase your income or decrease your expenses, both increase NOI, and uh, you know if you divide, uh, if you divide that on by a five cap, which is what 
most of the capitalization rates are across the country. Uh, every dollar of NOI you can increase is 20 to value today. So the moment that you can kind of harness that and find a property that has some upside in it by doing some simple renovations in the unit and charging higher rents that your competitor properties down the street are doing, um, that, that's an extremely powerful um, yet simple concept. Um, so simple, but the, the power is within the simplicity of it. Um, and the moment I kind of really understood how to, how to manipulate that and how powerful that was, was when I decided I stopped wanting to do uh, single family houses. Yeah, definitely. Um, there's a few things in there that um, I wanted to like kind of reinforce is there's no debt service or payments um, when you calculate your net operating income. So those of you that are uh, and no income tax either. So if you're trying to compare, it is a great way to compare apples to apples. And that's why we have that method and technique is so that you can compare straight across the board. Um, also, I wanted to kind of ask you how much, I think it helped tremendously, but I want to know your opinion. Did your career and your job help you launch into this? Because oh, do it, underwriting it was, for these types of loans before? Yeah, it was invaluable, right? So if you think about when you're doing a commercial real estate loan, um, you know, typically somewhere between 70 and 80% of the money to buy an apartment building or really any piece of real estate, 70, 80% comes from the debt. And, you know, usually 20, 30% comes from equity. It's a pretty typical split. So, um, you know, I got a lot of uh, opportunity to look at deal after deal after deal when I was uh, getting paid to learn on, on someone else's nickel. So that was a, a real invaluable um, thing. But, you know, when you, when you get started out, everyone has what they have. Everyone starts from where they start from. So, you know, I had a little bit of money because I was a good boy and worked hard and got bonuses and was successful at my job and lived below my means and saved money. Um, you know, I certainly wasn't born with a silver spoon, but I was kind of sacrificed to save money. And then I had a lot of, um, you know, relevant work experience by underwriting a lot of deal after deal after deal, as well as got very networked, um, you know, because that, that's, uh, especially in these commercial real estate transactions, it's a completely unfair business. You know, a lot of it's like who you know, what you know, what chips you can trade, what you've done. Um, you know, when you're buying a single family house, a realtor that sells you that, or the, the owner of that house doesn't necessarily care if you have done a hundred or a thousand other or flips or rental properties, they don't really care if you have a prequal letter and money in the bank, they don't really care if you do it. Whether if you're buying a hundred or 200 unit multifamily property, they most certainly do care if you have experience and a track record because you go out and you market the thing. The last thing you want to do is uh, pick a wrong um, buyer and kind of false start. And then you have to kind of start the whole process over. So a large part of what these brokers do is, is, you know, they try to go out and certainly, you know, market the property and drive best price. But, uh, um, but really more importantly, there's a qualifying the potential marketplace and all the, all the buyer pools to qualify them for the actual ability to come and take these deals down. So if I've done 10 transactions with this broker in Dallas and you come in and you don't know one knows who you are, um, the likelihood of them taking you seriously over, over me is, you know, I'm going to win that race every single time. Um, so you have to kind of overcome that uh, quite a bit. So the relationships yeah. I was able to cultivate through my banking career, you know, were, were really helpful. What I had to do as I started out was to get the marketplace to not perceive me as, as it always had, which would be in a, a lender. I had to get their, their perception of Michael Becker flipped to a principal um, of, of apartment deals. And if you buy a couple of deals, it doesn't take very long for the marketplace to catch on that you're a real person and you can actually take these things down. Well said. Yeah, your job was a great launching pad into what you did. Um, 
I have a little bit of a similar situation with my husband. He worked for home builders getting entitlements. And yep. so it's great to network with people who are lenders or who work for home builders because their skills are really invaluable. So then, you know, he does, um, we do development now and he knows how to do it. He got paid to do it by helping someone else and he can apply those skills. So there's a lot of things that you can apply. Yeah, but skills. if you don't have it, you know, I mean, you just got to be real about where you are and where you start. So if you, uh, you know, you don't have uh, the experience, but you have a little bit of money set aside and good credit, then, you know, that that's your resource. So then your, your job is to go out and start, uh, start, you know, gaining what you don't have. So the way I think about it, it's like a puzzle. You got to, you know, get all the pieces together and then all of a sudden the picture becomes clear. So if you have money, you have credit, you know, you need to then maybe find someone who has, you know, some experience you can partner with or, you know, in multifamily space, there's several large um, reputable uh, mentoring clubs or real estate investor clubs that you could join, um, you know, and certainly get networked. So that's a good way to kind of get networked and they're in all the major cities across the country. If you live in the kind of a smaller or tertiary or secondary market, you might have to travel a few hours to the closest major metropolitan area to find one of those. Um, and even if you don't have money or, or, or whatever, there's a lot of resources why you, you know, maybe you start learning how to wholesale and then maybe learn how to flip and then, you know, kind of accumulate capital through these smaller scale deals while you kind of work your job full time, do that on the side and accumulate some capital. That's a good way. But there's a ton of podcasts out there you can listen to, ton of these free meetups, lots of books. So, you know, you can get a pretty decent base level education um, for, for little to no money as you're accumulating some, some capital. Because as you mentioned, this is on a no job, no credit, no money type of business, especially when you get to these large scale deals. You have to have, you know, some earnest. You don't have to have all the money to do these deals because you can you syndicate like I do, which means you just basically raise money from other people for the bulk of it. But, you know, you as a sponsor, you have to front a lot of pursuit costs along the way. So it's not like a house. When you uh, when you, you you tie up a multi million dollar um, apartment complex, you're putting fifty thousand or hundred thousand or hundreds of thousands of dollars up in earnest money. Plus, you got to put twenty thousand dollars for a lender deposit. You got to pay your lawyer. You got all these these expenses that you as a, the lead or the sponsor and the deal have to front. And then there are deal related charges that you get reimbursed when you actually close. But you have to bridge the gap for the sixty days or the ninety days from the time you get awarded the deal to the time you actually get reimbursed at closing. So you have to come together with a plan on how do you overcome all these different uh, challenges. So if you don't have it, you need to find a partner or a resource that can, that can kind of solve that, that gap or the deficiency that you need, uh, that you need to overcome. Yeah, I love that. It's a very good analogy, a puzzle. Um, very rarely does someone have all the pieces of the puzzle. You don't have, most people don't have millions of dollars and the connections and everything. So you assemble your team, put your puzzle together for, from multiple people, multiple sources, from networking, from asking around. Sometimes you might be surprised in your networks, listeners of who knows people that uh, might already be doing this or have connections that would be very valuable to you. So, well, why don't you tell us about maybe one of your most um, surprising or challenging deals? Like give someone some of the warnings of things yeah. that can happen. Um, you know, so we've been, we've been fortunate that uh, I've started buying, you know, houses and 2010 and multifamily in 2013. So uh, we've certainly been in one hell of a good run here. So, you know, the uh, any sort of mistakes we've made, generally speaking, the market's kind of covered up for along the way. And, uh, you know, I think we did a pretty good job. We've not made any sort of major fatal mistakes. Um, you know, challenges, is, it's, is, it's a problem business. So, you know, every day there's a problem. Um, you know, many, many problems, especially when you have, you know, what do we have? 5,700 units. We'll probably have somewhere around 
you know, 11 or 12,000 tenants uh, across our property, something, something like that, you know, living in close quarters to each other. So, um, you know, there's always, uh, always an issue going on. Um, you know, one, one of the more challenging things that kind of popped to my mind, uh, I think it was the third product, the third property we purchased, we, we took on a doozy is a 255 unit deal built in the late sixties. Um, and it had a bunch of foundation issues and it was in a city that was notoriously difficult to, to deal with uh, from multifamily ownership perspective. So we bought this property and we're going to come in and it had, I think, um, what I have like something like 20 buildings or something. We had to do peers in 16 of the 20 buildings. And uh, so we're going to do 880 peers of foundation work. So that's a lot. Uh, that's a lot wow. of peers, right? And so the way we had to do it was we do it. You had to clear out the entire ground floor of one building go in, lift it, re rehab all these units, and then kind of move the tenants from uh, that building to the next one and kind of just work it until you got all the way through. And then once you lifted it, you had to come on and do, you know, clean up all the sewer works. You might crack the sewer, sewer pipe, or maybe we had sewer pipe issues anyways, which wow. caused some of the foundation work. So it was just a big, you know, logistical nightmare. And uh, the management company we had at the time, which is different than the one we use now, didn't do a good job dealing with the city and then they weren't answering some of the city stuff and the city started coming after us and issuing us correction notices and citations and hauling us in a code enforcement court every other week. Um, you know, things like that. Wait, 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 there's yeah. a code enforcement court. I've never heard of that. <laughs> well, so if you, um, if you uh, get issued citations, um, you need to go to court. It's basically like a fine and we'd have citations who so they were coming after us. So we'd go to the municipal court the city of farmers wow. branch towards the end so as we were trying to sell this property which we ultimately were successful with they were just coming in and just trying to drill us every time we turned around and a lot of it would have been this is after us spending a couple million dollars renovating this apartment complex you know so we're spending a lot of money solving all these problems but they uh, we weren't doing the best job or the management company wasn't doing the best job communicating with the city and addressing whatever concerns they had. So they kind of got a target on us. So uh, that's one thing that is, that is definitely more, you're definitely more on the radar screen. Uh, the bigger your, your apartment complex is, they generally kind of leave you alone, at least in Texas and California. I'm sure they, they you know, mess with you no matter what you have. But uh, in Texas, they generally kind of leave you alone if you're in a small single family home. You know, you're not on anyone's radar screen, but if you have a 200 plus unit apartment complex, they tend to come after you because they think of you having deeper pockets and they can come, um, you know, try to, try to mess with you a little bit more. So uh, making sure that you have a good open line of communication with the city um, is clearly uh, important along the way and just kind of making sure that you're um, you know, communicating with it. And, and that, that was probably one of the more challenging uh, deals that I had to go to basically it was every other Tuesday for, I think about a two to three month period as we were, got the property on the market trying to sell it, they were just coming after us. So it was time to, time to get out. As soon as we sold it, it was, you know, we were kind of out of their traps and, and moved on to the next thing. That's stressful, huh? Oh, yeah. well, I don't know. I wouldn't like going and appearing in court. That would be nope. no fun, especially when it's not always in your control and it's your management company dropping the ball and then you have to go answer for their um, performance or lack of performance. So you, you gotta be ready to stand up and, and be, take Yeah, that and then a lot of the stuff they were doing was super nitpicky and just kind of, they're just, you know, basically trying to get us just to get us essentially at that point. Cause they were, uh, you know, the, the lady in the code enforcement department who made 50,000 bucks a year or whatever, saw the, you know, multi-million dollar apartment complex. And they were just kind of going to come get us every time they, every time <laughs> they could turn around. That's kind of what it felt like from our, from our standpoint, at least. Yes. That I had a situation just with a rent house in the Palm Springs area and the code enforcement lady 
was like getting on us for trash cans out or the yard not looking good. I'm like, could you look at the rest of the neighborhood? She's like, yeah, but your neighbor's mad at your tenant. So I got to keep citing you. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's just, it's a challenging situation. You just don't even know what you're in for. You don't know what you don't know, right? Sure. <laughs> Until you, but you just, I mean, that's what we get paid for is solving solving problems for a profit. At least we hope it's a profit, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Now that was good. We like tripled our money in two and a half years. So it was, uh, it was a great, uh, great outcome in the end of the day, but it was a little stressful uh, the last- uh, Going through it. You know, pretty much the entire time, but the last six months in particular. You earned your money on that one, huh? <laughs> for sure. <laughs> well, okay. This has been awesome. Um, I would love to now t have you tell our listeners about our free download that we're doing this week. Um, all about financing for multifamily homes. So can you tell us what that is that they get? Yeah, so, so as I mentioned, my, bank, uh, my background is banking. So, uh, so one of the things I, I do is I also, uh, much like Holly, I co-host a, uh, a podcast called the Old Capital Real Estate Investing Podcast. So you can find that uh, you know, probably anywhere that uh, iTunes or Stitcher or anywhere you're hearing my voice watching this right now, we're probably there as well. You go to Old Capital podcast.com um, and then it's there as well but as part of that we uh, we wrote a white paper a few years ago it's an 18 page white paper but it's kind of like the multifamily financing 101 so we uh, myself and my partner Paul we broke down kind of all the basic high levels of, of what you need to do how to get prepared what are some of the differences between you know bank financing like your local regional or community bank versus Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac because um, you know Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are not the only two largest lenders in the single family space so also two large lenders in the multifamily space as well so we go through and just kind of give the the real high level um you know in 18 pages uh kind of what it takes to put these deals together and some of the things you need to be thinking about as you're working with your your mortgage broker if you're trying to scale up and buy you know a, a multi-family uh, property that that is going to require you know um, commercial financing essentially not the not your typical 30-year fixed rate Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac mortgage so um, we we're happy to share that. Uh, and I'm sure you'll give them instructions on where to go find that, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So listeners, where you get that is going to hardhatholly.com forward slash 131 because we're episode 131. And you can also get it by texting to the number 38470, the word hard hat. You take out the space and make one word, 38470, text to hard hat. And we'll text you back the link to this download and our past ones and give you a text once a week when our latest podcasts are published. So definitely check that out. If It might be future thinking and future pacing for some of you guys. I know you're just like starting the beginning and this is kind of a, a high level place to um, you know, end up. Even Michael didn't start with a big multifamily project day one, but it's great to read it, know about it and have it in the distance, have it in the in your um scope since we're talking texas things here <laughs> but yeah. it's out there and like okay this is what my goal is these are the people i might want to be lining up for my team and this is a, what getting financing looks like because i think it'd be really helpful if you have kind of you know begin with the end in mind as stephen covey would say so yeah definitely do that and then let's talk about where people you talked about your podcast so say the name of it again and we'll yeah, have so, this in our show notes too but what's the name of your podcast yeah if you want to know more about us there's two ways to find out more information so simply the podcast which is uh, old capital podcast um i'm sorry the old capital real estate investing podcast so you go to oldcapitalpodcast.com or the way we actually operate and, and do business if you want to find out more information about that uh, my company is uh, SPI Advisory, uh, and so the way you find there is just our company's website, which is www 
www.spiadvisory.com. It's SPI like spy advisory.com. And there, there's a contact us form. You fill that out. I'm always happy to have a 10 or 15 minute telephone call with listeners I meet off a podcast. Awesome. That's really nice. And I know some of you listeners, I mean, I've talked to some of you. Some of you are full-time professionals. You're interested in real estate investing, but you don't necessarily have the time and energy, but maybe you have some money you want to invest. So someone like Michael, um, I don't invest with him yet, but um, you know, someone like Michael is someone you definitely want to check out in his company for opportunities to invest in real estate passively, where you can get the benefit without having to do the, the grinding work that some of us do full time. So that's a great resource for you too. So Michael, thank you so much for being on the show today. And what would be your kind of parting words of advice or wisdom that you'd like to leave us with? Yeah, you know, like I, I mentioned before, everyone starts from, from where they start. So, you know, like like you mentioned, Holly, I didn't start out, you know, owning 8,000 units. And, you know, my, my father fixed appliances for a living. My mother was a secretary. So I started out from relatively modest means, but I you know, I, I uh, kind of used what was in front of, front of me. I, I tried to do my best to maximize that all, every day, all day. And I kind of had a lot of things that I didn't realize I had. I just wasn't taking advantage of them. So the moment I got intentional about that and decided to go out and doing it about it, it's the moment I kind of changed my life and, and for, the, for the better. So if you're getting out, you're getting started, just do a good self-assessment on what you have financially as well as, you know, professional experience or education and do uh, a self-critical look at that and then start building out, you know, like I said, it's a puzzle. So you gotta put all the pieces together for the picture to become clear. So what you don't have, you need to start working towards um, solving and, and, and getting a team member that come uh, help you help you um, overcome whatever you have, whatever you do not have to get the deal done. So, uh, you know, stop, start there. And you know, it's like uh, the, the kind of the way to the top, you know, the final analogy I'll leave you with is, uh, you know, you got a client, I use like use a ladder analogy, it's like climbing, you know, you're going from the bottom to the top, you got to go one rung at a time. So if you're motivated, you have a little bit more money, maybe you climb that ladder a little bit faster than other people, but you got to do it one rung at a time. So just make sure you go out, get a plan together and take consistent uh, action and, and just stay at it and you'll eventually get to the top. Well said. Amen, brother. I love it. <laughs> so with that, listeners, get out there, take some action, assess your situation, see what you need to move forward and make it happen. So thanks so much again, Michael, and you guys have a great week and we'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening today. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review our show and let us know in your review what you'd like to hear more of. For the show notes and free downloads for this episode and all others, go to hardhatholly.com.